All right, folks, thanks again for joining us on Explore FI Canada, Money Mechanic with you. And of course, Chrissy, how are you doing this fine day? I'm great. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm looking at some drizzly weather, so I've been trying to convince the dogs it's not a walk day, but they're not hearing any of it. So we'll move on from that. <laughs> yeah, we've been wanting to talk about travel awards and points on the show for a while now. So I figured we'd better get on the expert in Canada. We have Ricky from Prince of Travel with us on the show. Welcome, Ricky. Hey guys, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So Prince of Travel is your blog and yeah. let's just start off with a <laughs> a little off the wall here. Uh, so many people refer to traveling with on rewards or points as travel hacking. You really don't like mm. that. You wrote a strong article about that a couple of years ago. Just give us a sort of brief overview of what you feel this hobby should be more referred as of course um so i guess a lot of people yeah a lot of people know the practice of using rewards points and maximizing credit cards and loyalty programs uh to travel the world and they know that term you know they know that concept as the term travel hacking and i think it's a bit unfortunate that that's the term that has caught on uh originally because i just think it sends the wrong message right i think those who are you know, those who are practicing this uh, understand the sense that it's kind of a hack in the sense that it's a life hack, right? That allows you to do, you know, it's a clever way to use publicly available offers and products to get what you want, kind of, to travel the world. Um, but I think externally, it doesn't exactly send the best message in terms of what people's intentions are. I think it sends a message of, you know, there's an element of shadiness or unethical nature about it. Uh, whereas you know, I think it's something really that is extremely um, natural and intuitive for people to try to be maximizing all the financial products out there, all the credit cards, the loyalty programs uh, to pursue their goals, their travel goals. So really, I like to call it, you know, maximizing your credit card rewards, maximizing your credit card points. Um, generally, on my website, I tend to just re refer to the whole practice as you know, miles and points, miles and points landscape, the miles and points community. And that's what we're all a part of. Yeah, I, I agree with that view. I think it's the term hacking does give it sort of an illicit kind of <laughs> connotation. And mm -hmm. we don't really want that because everything we're doing here is above board and mm -hmm. it's legal, it's legitimate. There's nothing wrong with what is happening here. Absolutely. So you've got an excellent blog, uh, com, and you also have quite a good series of YouTube videos that are out there for all our listeners to go check out. So we'll highlight some of those in the show notes. And one of the questions I wanted to sort of start off asking is I'm definitely a beginner in the traveling with miles and points sort of hobby, and I've never really gotten involved in it. I've definitely collected Aeroplan before, but those were just sort of from flight rewards anyway. Um, I've collected air miles with my shopping, but I really haven't dabbled into this. And you did a great video on some of the hard truths that is important for beginners to understand for when they're going to start doing this, uh, this get serious about collecting miles and points. Can you outline some of those hard truths? For sure. I think a lot of people are initially attracted to the idea of maximizing their miles and points um, by, you know, the, the promise of traveling the world in business class and first class and kind of seeing the end results of it without necessarily appreciating the entire process of earning and redeeming points and all the thought and energy and effort that goes into it beforehand. So I do think that when people are first starting out, um, it's important for them to 
you know, first of all, understand the strategy and the process and kind of the basic concepts that we talk about in the community, but also a few things that may not be immediately obvious. So I guess a few of those hard truths that I had covered in the video would be, you know, in order to, first of all, in order to be able to maximize and juggle many credit cards at once, you do need to have a high level of financial literacy and a high level of uh, organizational skills, right? So that you never, for example, end up paying more fees that you, than you need to or end up paying uh, interest on missed payments, for example. You got to ensure that you constantly uh, pay off all your credit card balances in full and on time because any such additional fees are going to quickly eat into the rewards that you earn and wipe out the value that you're getting. So that would be, I guess, the first you know, major hard truth that I tell people. If you don't have your financial house in order, then focus on that first before even thinking about maximizing rewards uh, because the rewards really is the gravy on top of having everything under control which I'm sure many of our listeners, you know, the vast majority of our listeners uh, do have their financial house in order. So that's good. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that you outline that because this could do way more damage than, than good if you're not, if you don't have your finances in order to start with. Yeah, that would be the, the most major hard truth, I think, to start out with. The other hard truth, I think, is just to appreciate that maximizing your points is like anything else, you know, like building up uh, other aspects of your, you know, financial strengths. It's also something that does require uh, time and energy to learn and understand and try out for yourself in order to get good at, right? So when I say that, you know, I'm talking about the the time and energy spent uh, in terms of learning the learning the ropes at the start, uh, learning all the important concepts and strategies, um, but also in the sense that the miles and points is really a, a game that rewards people who are willing to spend some money in the first place on travel, right? I kind of I like to say that it's uh, a pay-to-play game where, the, sure, you're able to get, let's say, $1,000 of value if you don't want to spend any money out of pocket. Like if you want to spend $0 out of pocket, you're able to take advantage of the credit card sign-up bonuses that have, let's say, first year free or no annual fee, and you're able to get, let's say, $1,000 in value from your flights and hotels as a result. But if you're somebody who uh, initially are, are willing to spend, let's say, $1,000 out of pocket, then you could potentially leverage the rewards to get $10,000 in value, like a much, much more significant amount of value if you're willing to pay to play at the start. Yeah, I like that concept that you outlined that. Um, as someone who has been in the game for a while and has seen the ins and outs of all the various credit card strategies, it's nice to actually hear that you have to pay to play because a lot of us in the FI community, we are pretty frugal. Uh, we are really careful about how we spend our money and it can be painful to have to pay those annual fees or anything else that might be involved in trying to earn the higher bonuses. It, it can be difficult to justify that. But when you really sit down and do the math and you know what you're doing, you're right. It, when you pay to play, you can really get a, a lot farther ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that most people in the community have had to um, deal with, that change in mindset. I know I personally started out when I was a university student and I didn't have a lot of income. And at that point in my life, I was all about the, the frugality and, um, and spending as little money out of pocket as possible. And then as I 
you know, develop some disposable income, I came to realize that, yeah, the value that's really there to be attained is uh, more available if you're willing to spend a little money on, let's say, annual fees and, you know, the, the taxes and fees when you redeem points and that kind of stuff. So really the mindset should be something like, you know, if you had an annual travel budget of a certain amount, um, regularly you might be able to get, let's say, one or two trips using your budget, but with points, by knowing how to maximize points, you could potentially turn that into four or five trips and in a much greater level of comfort too. So business class and first class, for example. So I think it's important too to point out pay to play means you can really level this up and leverage it up by paying for some of those fees. I mean, I'm definitely guilty of being adverse of paying any credit card fees, but that's because I've never really made a plan to use the points. I'm, I'm strictly a cashback person. So I think it's really interesting. And the more I learned about that is you can definitely start with the no fee cards. And I think the people in our community probably would want to start there. But like you're saying, you might get one trip a year out of that. But if you want to level this up and, and travel in some luxury, then you do need to have to invest a little bit of money into it. For sure. And I think it's also worth pointing out that you know, even though I, I say that that's uh, the best way to unlock the most value, it doesn't necessarily have to be the path that everybody goes down. I mean, at the end of the day, it really depends on uh, your goals and what you want to get out of this, how much you, you know, enjoy traveling in the first place, how much of a priority travel is in your life, right? If it's something that you really want to pursue, you know, in, in a larger quantities, uh, than, than otherwise would be able to, then the tools are there for you to do so. And I think that kind of leads us a little bit towards one of the next points we were going to have a little discussion about was having a good plan. Because, for example, when I had my air miles, I was just getting them because I shopped at Thrifties in town here and I got air miles. I had no idea what I was going to use them for. So mm-hmm. for our listeners out there that just think they want to start accumulating miles and points and maybe start churning some credit cards. Unless you've got a plan, tell us a little bit about how to think forward and go, this is the end goal I want to have and how do I get there? Absolutely. There's two sides to the game, right? There's earning points, which is most easily and most uh, cost effectively done through credit cards and maximizing your return on spending and the sign-up bonuses. And then there's redeeming points for excellent value. So the idea there is uh, you basically acquire points for as low a cost as possible, and then you're aiming to redeem them as expensively as possible, um, as in for the most, the greatest value, the most expensive possible stuff. So usually in terms of the retail tag price on stuff, that's going to be business class flights, first class flights. Now, most people start out on the earning side, like you said, like kind of earning points here and there, you know, willy nilly without really putting much thought into what they're going to be able to use those points for in the long run. I usually advocate if somebody's interested in starting out on the right path for them to think, you know, think very hard about what trips are possible using points, like what types of trips, which destinations, uh, traveling in what class of service, staying in what level of hotel, what, what's attainable using the various points offers that are available on the market out there. Thinking about the exact trip that they like to take using points and then thinking about the best points to use to book those trips. And then finally putting together a strategy to earn the amount of points required using the credit cards that are available on the market 
and then executing on that strategy. Well, that's interesting because you're flipping the script. Like most of us yeah. do it backwards, right? We, we earn the points first and then we go, oh, what am I going to do with this pile of points? But what you're saying is it might make more sense to first learn about these programs and see which one might work best for the trip that we want and then go backwards from there and figure out what the best credit card or whatever system might work best to earn us the points that'll get us the trip that we want. Yeah, that's going to be the way to do it that makes the most sense and that ultimately um, is the most time and cost effective for you uh, to prevent you from, you know, ending up with small balances of points divided into multiple different programs and then scrambling to figure out how to use them. Yeah. That's most of us, me included. We just have these little <laughs> bits of points everywhere and, and they're useless because they're, they're spread out so far, right? <laughs> You've got the 4,000 airplane miles sitting over there somewhere yeah. and like the 1,500 air miles that don't do anything. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's fantastic to have that, to, to help us focus our efforts in the right places at the right time is that will get us the most benefit. Thank you mm -hmm. for pointing that out. It takes someone who knows that, the ins and outs of this well in order to see the overall concept that way because we're also used to doing it the way that we all do it which is just earning first and then deciding later yeah well and i think too that the really nice part about looking at it from that perspective is it's pretty overwhelming for most of us that are beginners to look at the volume of programs that are there whether they're through the credit cards through the airlines through our banks and just have no clue what to pick. But if you mm -hmm. take a look at down the road and say, I want to do a trip to South Africa, what airlines am I going to get there on? What points are going to work the best and reverse engineer it just like you described. I think that makes people's decision how they start so much better. Yeah. And the challenge is all the different programs are telling you that they're the best, right? Of course. Um, if you look at all the banks, all of the credit cards, they've all found some you know, some obscure criterion to say that they're the number one rewards program uh, for Canadians or something like that. Um, and the thing is, they may be, you know, number one for certain types of travelers. Like I know there are travelers out there that value, you know, programs like, let's say, um, air miles or let's say CIBC points uh, for their, you know, reasons that have merits, but it, might, it may not be the program that has the highest value on paper. And that's where, yeah, thinking about exactly which places you'd like to go, which airlines you'd like to fly, uh, in what class of service, and then which programs make that possible. How do I earn those points? Those are the steps. Yeah, one of the things I got from uh, one of the videos I was watching is that you talked about the sort of different types of points. There's points that are representative of a dollar value, and then there's also points that are transferable. And what was the third one? I'm stumped now. There's one in the, the middle there. Right. The third one was like fixed value points. That's right. So that's like right. One cent per point. So just briefly outline those three for our listeners, because that's kind of what we're all sort of dealing with and, and how they can be put to use just sort of in a quick summary for us. For sure. So we're familiar with, you know, there's the fact that there's tons of programs in Canada and in general, I'd say that they all fall into one of three categories. The first category would be an airline frequent flyer program. So an example might be Aeroplan, which is affiliated with Air Canada, or let's say British Airways Avios. So that's the program for British Airways, but they do have some involvement here in Canada as well. Generally, for the airline programs, each point doesn't necessarily have a fixed value of its own until you redeem it for something. So every program has their own charts and rules that you have to follow when you redeem your points. 
And these charts will be based on, let's say, which geographic zones you're flying to or how, you know, how far you're flying. It'll charge you a certain amount of points for the certain class of service. So the value really depends on what you use it for. And the more time you spend studying the charts and the sweet spots within the charts, the more likely you are to extract the highest value there. So after airline programs, we then have fixed value points. So what I say by fixed value points are programs like Scotia Rewards or CIBC Aventura Rewards or let's say BMO Rewards. These programs, you know, they all give you a certain fixed value for every point that you earn, which you can then usually apply against travel. So an example is Scotia Rewards, which is basically has a fixed value of one point equals one cent. And you can then make any travel purchase on your Scotia Rewards card, whether it's a flight, hotel, or car rental. And then you can go onto your you know, Scotia online dashboard and redeem those points against that travel purchase at that fixed rate. So the advantage of fixed value points is that they're simple to use, right? You know you're getting this fixed value. You don't need to worry about studying any rules and charts. You can just go make your travel purchase and then apply your points against that purchase. Now, the disadvantage is that, once again, the value is fixed at one cent per point, and you might not be able to extract higher valuations like 5, 10, 15 cents per point that you would if you did study a flexible award charts and you know, redeem your points for, let's say, business class or first class. And finally, we have transferable rewards, which is kind of the best of both worlds because they can be used as fixed value points. You know, if you just have a travel purchase that you'd like to make and you'd like to use your points for it without the hassle of, do- of looking into all the rules and charts, then you can use your transferable rewards in that purpose. And since they're transferable, these points can also be transferred out to a variety of different airline and hotel partners as well. So the best transferable rewards in Canada would be American Express membership rewards, which can be transferred to Aeroplan and British Airways AVOs at a one-to-one ratio, as well as hotel points like Marriott Bonvoy, for example. And the other big one would be RBC Avion. So RBC Avion points actually can be transferred to a handful of frequent flyer programs and redeemed for very good value there too. Or, as I said, these points can also be applied directly to a travel purchase if you just prefer that simplicity. So really transferable points, best of both worlds, and are probably uh, the most important points currency to prioritize earning. Yeah, I think our a lot of our listeners are going to be pretty familiar with how to optimize their credit cards if they've been on a, on a cashback, trying to optimize that in the past. But if they're looking mm-hmm. for travel, and you mentioned the Avion and the Amex ones, and that flexibility, I think, will be attractive to a lot of our listeners that maybe don't want to have multiple credit cards or or be churning all the time. And mm-hmm. just the ability to transfer those between programs, uh, that sounds very powerful to me. I'm sure it would uh, resonate with listeners that would like to optimize those things. So those two cards are really nice to have in Canada. But when it comes down to really accumulating points as a beginner, we have to start talking about churning. Can you just kind of Give us a sort of overview of what that looks like as a beginner. How do I start going about churning cards? Sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, When you're first starting out as a beginner, the real way to sort of level up uh, your points earnings, if you don't have, you know, huge organic spending is to 
quote unquote churn the cards, which is basically the idea of uh, getting the cards purely for the sign up bonuses. And then with a view of canceling the card eventually, perhaps within the first year so that you don't pay the second year's annual fee and then reapplying for it in the future in order to get that bonus again. And, you know, this is a practice that's perfectly above board in a legal perspective, but some credit card issuers may not actually like it very much because obviously uh, it can be unprofitable for them. So that's kind of uh, why some people might be you know, feeling a little touch and go about it. But generally in Canada, it works pretty well. You look for the credit cards with the best sign-up bonuses out there. Generally speaking, when you're starting out, it's, uh, it's safest to hold the card for at least six months before thinking about canceling it. The reason for that is because uh, of the impact on your credit score, right? When you open a card for six months and keep it open for six months, it's no longer too new to report uh, to the credit bureaus. And instead, it's treated as in good standing. So it actually contributes positively to your credit score. And that's why uh, we recommend to hold for at least six months. And then, you know, let's say that eventually you do decide to cancel. If you do want to reapply for the card and get a shot at getting that bonus again, then again, it's recommended to leave at least a six month gap there. And that's really just about your relationship with the issuer. You don't want to come across as, you know, you're just trying to get the bonuses and being a bad customer in, in general, right? You want to at least give them some opportunity to, to make profits as well. So you want to be spending regularly on your card, ideally, and not coming across as you're, you're purely there to, to, to turn, right? The bottom line is you don't want to make that intention too obvious. Right. So you'd basically open a card, get the bonus. A lot of them are going to have a minimum spend. You make that minimum spend, but you continue spending on that card for, say, the, like you said, maybe six months or whatever you feel is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point because I tend to just get the bonus and then stop, stop my spending. <laughs> that I leave it for a few months and then I cancel. So it's great to have these very specific actionable things that we should keep our, our eye on and, and to do so that we're not um, taking advantage in a way that's going to hurt the overall system and um, make it look like we're just out for the points and then we're gone. Yeah. I think, um, I think there, you know, there are cards out there that make sense to spend on a day-to-day basis too. Mm-hmm. in terms of the returns on spending. And those can be the cards that you prioritize in terms of your spending uh, after you've completed that minimum spend. There are cards out there that you know don't offer as competitive a return on your spending. And for those, you could just think about you know perhaps putting a few small purchases on it every now and then. Um, and I think the more, the more serious people who are you know, trying, to, trying to apply for as many cards and earn as many points from the sign-up bonuses as possible, most of their spending is going to be going towards some of that minimum spend, right? In order to unlock the bonuses that they're chasing. So if our listeners would like to pursue a more minimalist approach and just get one or two cards that will just serve long-term, they don't have to keep switching around from card to card. What are a few that a handful or less that you you might recommend that people just hang on to long-term? They don't have to worry about, you know, thinking about, a new card every few months? Right. It's a good question. And I think a lot of people would probably benefit from a minimalistic approach uh, if they don't want to you know, go all gung-ho with the credit card applications. I think it goes back to the, the fact that the transferable currencies are the most valuable because they offer the best of both worlds, right? In terms of the 
simplicity of fixed value points and the flexibility and higher value of frequent flyer programs. So like I mentioned, the two best transferable currencies in Canada would be uh, American Express and RBC. And that's kind of where I would focus my attention on if I just wanted to build a kind of minimalistic credit card portfolio. So I would probably choose to have one American Express card and one RBC card. Because remember, not every issuer out there accepts American Express. So you always want to combine that with an RBC visa, for example. And the two cards there are probably recommend for most people would be the American Express Cobalt and the RBC Avion Visa Infinite. Now the Cobalt is a very unique card in the sense that it gives you five times the points on food and drink purchases, which is an incredible return, pretty much unparalleled right within Canada in terms of that five times the points return. And I think since food and drinks, which includes groceries, dining, food delivery services, and uh, you know cafes and bars and stuff, since that's such a big chunk of spending for most households, I think it makes sense to choose the Cobalt as one of your core cards to hold on to, and then combine that with the RBC Avion, which you would use as a Visa card wherever the retailer doesn't accept Amex um, in order to rack up some Avion points, which you can then again transfer to a variety of frequent flyer programs. That's perfect. I love how you just streamlined it and outlined it so clearly there, because even me, I I would say I'm kind of an intermediate. Uh, I'm intermediate with my knowledge of credit card points. And it's hard for me to wade through all that's out there, all the noise and figure out what would be the most beneficial, but simple for, for me to use. So thank you yeah. for sharing your knowledge. Yeah. And I always find that every time I look on, you know, Rate Hub or any of the sites in Canada to try and compare cards, I, the first thing I always see is the sign up bonus. So it's hard to sort of get past that initial bonus and dig in and go, well, what's going to give me more value with my day-to-day spending as I work towards a bigger goal? And because I haven't done much with doing travel miles and points before, I haven't spent a lot of time into that. I do dig more into the uh, cashback in the past, but I'm definitely at the point now where I think I'm going to add a card into the rotation here to start generating some miles and points too as We've, I've got some time, obviously, right now before we travel again, so maybe it's a good time to start leveraging up for that. Now, before we move on too far, we talked a little bit about churning. You mentioned organic spending, which I think is fairly obvious. That's our day-to-day type normal expenses. There's another like type of spending, which I actually misunderstood, because when I first heard what manufactured spending, I thought it was buying a gift card so that you could spend it later on, but that's not actually manufacturer spending by definition that's just you know using uh it's an opportunity to spend ahead of time maybe to make your the sign up payment requirement uh, done that you know you're going to spend the money so manufacturer spending without going into some crazy detail on this but it's a really interesting subject just give us a little bit of a high level look at what manufacturer spending is and how people that want to really level up their points accumulation are going to need to do some of the research and learn how to do this for themselves. Sure. So manufactured spending. Yeah, you're right. So something like buying gift cards and then using that gift cards for your regular spending, that still falls into the category of spending that you would have done anyway, right? You're just kind of deferring or bringing it forward to spend right now. Whereas manufactured spending, the idea there is that you're putting purchases on your credit card that can be easily liquidated into cash. And then you then use that cash to pay off your credit card uh, and bring you back down to a zero balance. But then 
what you're left with is the points from that purchase. So you kind of need to, you know, think about this process a little bit and think about, you know, exactly how that works. But basically it's about generating points on your credit card through putting purchases on it that you can then easily liquidate into cash and then pay off. So obviously this is something that, you know, seasoned practitioners uh, who are very familiar with the process can use to generate huge amounts of points because it just looks like purchases, uh, regular purchases on your credit card. But having said that, seasoned practitioners tend to be very secretive about the exact methods that they use to manufacture spend um, because it's something that necessarily imposes a cost onto a third party uh, in the process of generating points, right? So one example from the past might be the Royal Canadian Mint used to sell these face value coins that you could buy on their website. So it was like $20 for $20. You could pay with a credit card and then you would get this coin that was worth $20 that was legal tender, which you could then use to pay off your credit card. So then people, you know, bought up thousands of dollars worth of these coins and then, you know, used the thousand dollars to pay off the credit card, leaving themselves with thousands of points on their account. So when you think about this method, you need to think about who was actually paying for those points that people were earning. And the answer is the Royal Canadian Mint was bearing the cost of everything, right? They were you know, producing this face value coin that was supposed to be a collector's item, but then they were also accepting the coin back from the banks where these you know, weird big coins are being deposited uh, <laughs> technically as legal tender. And then they were, you know, they were bearing the cost of transporting those coins back to the mint and also paying the credit card transaction fees, the interchange fees on every transaction on the website that people were ordering for. And so eventually, because this imposed such a big burden on the mint, they shuttered the program and they stopped issuing the face value coins. And so the idea is, yeah, manufacturer spending imposes a cost on a third party. It's somewhat exploitative. And that's why people don't like to talk about it too openly because if the methods you know, got widely distributed, if everybody started doing it, then the methods would be shut down. So it's definitely a very high level, a very advanced method to generate points. I would say something that not everybody, absolutely not everybody needs to pursue, only if you're you know, really, really serious about wanting to travel the world in business class to first class, then it's something to consider. And if you do, you know, if you're interested in at least want to hear more about the subject, then I would say the best way to actually learn more is to attend some in-person events with people who you know, know their stuff, people in the Miles and Points community, where uh, it tends to be much more open to talk about this stuff than online where nobody really knows each other. And there's always the chance of you know, speaking to too many people and getting it shut down. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I've heard, like both in Canada and the States, where it yeah. it has to become kind of a secretive thing so that it doesn't get shut down because too many people are taking advantage. Yeah. So Ricky, part of the reason why we wanted to get you on the show now is because the landscape has changed a little because of the environment we're in with the pandemic and all travel has stopped. So we're wondering, as the expert you are, what kind of strategies should listeners that should anyone who's interested in miles and points be focusing on right now it, since we can't travel what what should we be doing right most of the advice that i have given so far right is um is applicable during ordinary times when people are traveling when you're always thinking about you know what's the next big trip i can go on these days obviously there's lots of uncertainty 
um, across all industries, including this one. So one of the elements of uncertainty in loyalty programs is that, you know, nobody really knows um, whether the, the future of the loyalty programs will remain the same, whether or not they're going to be devalued or the rules are going to change and stuff. So the idea is right now the most important thing is to not have all your eggs in one basket, right? Not be collecting, you know, hundreds of thousands of points only in one program because on the chance that that program gets devalued or the rules change uh, unfavorably, then the value of your points, entire points holdings has decreased, right? You want to remain as flexible and as versatile as possible. And again, it would go back to those transferable rewards currencies. If you held, you know, major balances in American Express points, RBC Avion points, then let's say that one of the transfer partners, let's say, you know, let's pretend that Aeroplan changes their rules and makes it much more unfavorable in the future for redemptions, right? You're kind of protected from that devaluation because you still have the opportunity to transfer your points to different programs like British Airways or Delta or American Airlines uh, or WestJet or hotel points too. So you're definitely insulated from single programs devaluing if you focus on transferable currencies like American Express and RBC. Um, in addition, I would also say that right now there's a, a real case to be made to perhaps take things a little easier than ordinary times in terms of racking up points quickly. And I say that again, because nobody really knows when we're gonna be able to travel again, you know, what that timeline looks like. And so, it, it could make sense to um, spend this time kind of doing more research and understanding what the possibilities are and thinking about your own travel goals and developing strategies before jumping into action, hopefully sometime soon in the future when we're able to travel again. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. I think all of us need a bit of guidance right now with so much stuff up in the air. Uh, it's helpful mm -hmm. to hear um, your thoughts on it and it helps me personally, because I have been collecting kind of haphazardly. And now it, it helps me realize that, yeah, if, if we have all our points focused in certain programs is a bit of a risk and it would be helpful to maybe start considering those, um, what are those for the transferable points um, that they, they sound like they have a lot of value, especially in times like these. Uh, so maybe we'll move on to the next point we're going to talk to you about. What should we be looking at as it, in the future as far as booking travel? Um, should we just be focused, continuing to focus on learning about the systems and accumulating these more flexible points? Do you have any ideas on uh, what we should be looking ahead to as far as planning and booking future travel? Yeah, it's a good question. And it goes back to what I was saying about nobody's really sure about the timeline in terms of when we're going to be able to travel. So the strategies as a result are a little bit all over the place. And there are a few different items to talk about, but I'll try to touch upon all of them. One of them is, you know, the future of whether or not we're going to be able to get value out of our points compared to, let's say, just paying cash for travel, for, for flights and for hotels. For example, you know, I've, I've talked about how the reason that we're able to get such high value out of our points in ordinary times is because we're able to redeem for business class or first class. Uh, we understand that, you know, those fares that people pay for business class, regular people who, who buy these tickets are business travelers, right? That's the reason why the fares are so high because business travelers just pay a large amount of money for, for these fares. 
often on a last minute basis too. Now with the future of travel uncertain, with the future of you know, business travel uncertain because people are doing more work online, et cetera, um, nobody really knows if those fares are gonna stay nearly as high. And indeed, we've already seen like in the past few weeks or so, we've already seen a bunch of cash fares for business class flights and economy class flights that are way below the usual amount, right? Because again, uh, nobody's traveling right now it makes sense that the cash fares are lower. And I think for the foreseeable future, we'll see cash fares that are generally lower than what we've expected to see them in the past. So there's, there's definitely reason to kind of also think about the cash side of paying for travel in addition to rewards points, right? When you think about the relative value that you could be securing. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is now the right time to be planning and booking travel. And I think, and I think that depends on, you know, your appetite for traveling soon after, let's say, um, the worst of the pandemic passes, right? I think it will be a gradual process in terms of governments relaxing the travel advisories and countries opening up their borders and relaxing the requirements for quarantines, for example. So it depends on um, if you're willing to kind of play that game and try to travel as soon as possible, or if you feel more comfortable waiting for everything to blow over first. Maybe you'll be waiting you know, six months, one year from now before taking a trip. And whatever decision you make, another thing that you need to be thinking about is how you're paying for these flights and hotels, and especially flights. And I say that because right now the airlines all around the world uh, are strapped for cash, right? They have negative revenue because more people are canceling than booking travel, uh, obviously because nobody's traveling. And so what's been happening, what we've been observing is a worrying but somewhat understandable trend where if you book you know, a ticket with an airline and they're the ones who cancels your flight, then they actually refuse to provide you with the full refund to your original method of payment. And instead they, um, they provide you with the travel credit for the next 24 months, which is you know, under, under the law, they're supposed to give you a full refund. So that's a risk that you're taking by booking tickets right now, um, booking regular tickets with your cash. And instead, I would say for anybody who has points on hand, use your points to book trips that you'd like to take over the next six to 12 months. Because even if those trips need to be canceled, the loyalty programs have been a lot more generous about providing those refunds, refunding your miles and the taxes that you paid compared to the airlines themselves who badly need to hold on to that cash. That's so interesting. And uh, I, I found in the past too, that loyalty programs do tend to be more generous with their refunds. Uh, they often don't even charge a fee or if, if they do, it's much smaller than if you had paid in cash. Yeah, it's also uh, a benefit of loyalty programs in ordinary times too, because you'll find that a lot of their cancellation policies are much more friendly. Sometimes they don't charge a fee if you're canceling, let's say 60 days or more before your date of departure. And even if they do charge a fee, it's like 75 bucks and then you get all your miles back, for example. Compare that to oftentimes when you're booking, let's say the cheapest economy class ticket, it's fully non-refundable, right? It's like take it or leave it. Or even if you cancel, it becomes a travel voucher that you have to use in the future. So in general, traveling on points is much more flexible than traveling the normal way. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons we love it so much. <laughs> so personally for you, what are your plans? Are you going to be booking travel 
are you going to wait for six months, 12 months, or are you going to start booking earlier than that? Um, because there might be some deals to be had. Yeah, I'm definitely on the more eager side, right? <laughs> I, I, I love traveling. Um, I built my whole website around the idea of traveling as much as possible. And so I'm looking to obviously get going as soon as it's uh, safe and appropriate to do so. Now, exactly when that is, um, I'm not sure, but I think my strategy will be to book trips and reschedule my existing trips for the future, but with the understanding that they might not materialize. And I may need to make further changes or push it further into the future as well. So I'm staying flexible. Um, right now, for example, I was supposed to take another like round the world trip in May, but I've pushed that into August. Some people are still saying, oh, like you're not going to be able to, you know, enter these countries by August. And there's a good chance that that happens. And I'm comfortable with the fact that I may need to call that trip off eventually as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, I'm remaining flexible and keeping an open mind in terms of being able to make the bookings, again, using my points instead of cash to take advantage of the flexible cancellations, uh, but also having that open mind and being willing to cancel if need be. Mm -hmm. So if someone like me needs to be booking on cash because I'm a family of four and it's really hard to accumulate enough points to book a trip all on points for a family of four, would you recommend it's probably safer to hold off then because we don't know what the refunds are going to be like in a year from now uh, if we're planning to travel in a year. It, would it be safer to hold off on booking anything on cash? And if you have enough points, then use that. But if not, maybe don't make cash bookings right now. I think right now, like as as of the time that we're recording this, I think that's probably true. I know that many uh, passenger advocacy groups in Canada are working hard to have, you know, have the Canadian Transport Agency, have the government review these rules on refunds and kind of step in and, you know, stick up for consumers' rights in terms of if the airline cancels your flight, you're entitled to a full refund, mm -hmm. right? End of story. Mm -hmm. um, until that happens, yeah, I would kind of observe the situation and see if there's uh, any changes to this worrying practice of the airlines just holding on to everybody's money. Having said that, you know, I have noticed that in the U.S. and in Europe, uh, the governments have stepped in and have said that airlines should be uh, providing the refunds. And they've given airlines a little bit of a relaxed time frame to do so, but they have said, they have kind of put their foot down and said that, yeah, it is your obligation to provide the refunds. So if you're booking travel, you know, to Europe or on a European carrier, then they would be subject to those rules. Uh, but again, it, you know, if you're more risk averse, it is a situation that's worth monitoring for a while before jumping in on a hot deal. So that covers my questions. Um, we have a few more, but uh, it might. I've be... got a. I've got a really important. Yeah. Question. Okay. Really do. important question. This okay. can't. This can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any idea? How, do you keep track of how many credit cards you've had? I do. I do. Uh, like <laughs> I said, Ada, you need the you need the organizational skills, right? You need to be on top of everything. So. For fun, um, how yeah. many have you had in your lifetime for uh, tra for for accumulating miles and points? Um, yeah, that's a question that I get all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm just pulling up my spreadsheet now because I, you know, I don't keep it off the top of my head, but I'm just looking through it. So I think I personally have had uh, 45 in Canada, open and closed, life to date. 
I thought uh, I was think, thinking it would be more actually interesting. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And here's the thing. I know, I know a lot of people out there actually do have a lot more because they, you know, they go for like 12 new cars per year or something, but then that's just under my name in Canada. You know, there are more dimensions to this game too. Obviously getting credit cards for your household, for your family members, for your friends. And there's the U S side of the game too. U S credit cards, obviously much more lucrative than they are here. So across, you know, all, all the accounts that I manage, maybe across all geographies, it's probably closer to 60, 70. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we, you know, we've just ba- barely scratched the surface and that's mm-hmm. why we wanted to have you on the show because you're a wealth of knowledge and definitely let our listeners know where they can go and dig into this, uh, where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I mostly share my content in, uh, in blog form over on princeoftravel.com. That's my website. I usually publish seven to eight times per week in terms of new content. And you know, there's always lots of new stuff to talk about, exciting news and developments in the miles and points space, as well as my own analysis and advice on the best deals and the best opportunities. Um, in addition, I also publish video content on my YouTube channel. So Prince of Travel, you'll be able to find it. Um, And that's really, I noticed that there were a lot of, you know, YouTubers in the U.S. who were talking about credit cards and optimizing your credit card holdings and portfolio and stuff, but not really anybody in Canada doing it. So I decided to also jump into the the video space too. And that's been a lot of fun. And I know a lot of people have found that valuable. Um, And finally, you know, I'm on Instagram a lot. I share the highlights of my travels you know, the fancy business class pictures and stuff. That's kind of showing people the end results, right? Getting people interested in, in what's possible and learning more about that. Yeah, so I would say that those are the three main platforms that you'll find me, um, princeoftravel.com, the YouTube channel, and the Instagram. I would throw in your email list too. I'm your one of your email subscribers and you often send out these last minute deals or these breaking news <laughs> um, articles that we need to pay attention to if we're serious about earning points. So join Ricky's newsletter. It's It's been really helpful for me. I've, I've learned a lot and I've gained a lot from it. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for that, Chrissy. If you're on princeoftravel.com, you can join the newsletter, which you'll receive on a weekly basis every Sunday that gives you the latest you know, summaries of the posts of the week, as well as the biggest news from the week. Uh, you can also choose to join my insiders email list, which is basically a, uh, a, a license for me to email you whenever I want with you know, <laughs> time sensitive deals and just thoughts that come to my mind and stuff like that. So yeah, I hope to see you all on the list too. Well, and fair warning to our listeners, if you start watching Ricky's videos, you're going to get caught up he has got an awesome intro to your videos and the, the music's quite catchy it's stuck yeah. in my head <laughs> yeah I, I i would agree with that actually i find myself watching the intro quite a few times every time I'm editing too yeah no it's a good one yeah i enjoyed all your videos and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today there's so much to learn in this area and for any of our listeners that are interested in it uh ricky's a great place to start with his blog and his youtubes and uh yeah it's uh, i'm kind of a little bit excited about this now there I do have some time to learn more about it in this sort of downtime and I've never really put as much thought into this as I have recently. So thanks again for being on the show. Great talking with you. Thanks so much for having me, Chrissy and uh, Mr. Money Mechanic. Yes, thank you, Ricky. We're happy that you are sharing what you know in the Canadian space because there's not enough info and uh, you put out great content. So thank you for sharing it and thank you for coming on to the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys. 
Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. One, leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Two, tell your friends and family about us. Three, use our referral links at exploreficanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at exploreficanada.ca. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefi.com. Our music today was provided by Purple Planet.